Hello, and welcome back to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates and paint and troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, it's been a little bit since our last podcast. Uh, as I mentioned uh, during that last one in early December, I was completely swamped with a variety of different projects, and it actually turned out that uh, even more got dumped on my plate. So December was kind of crazy, and unfortunately, we weren't able to record any more podcasts. However, uh, it's a new year, it's a new month, uh, and it's a new decade too, and we're back, and we have a bunch of podcasts lined up, so uh, I don't think we'll be missing many weeks as we head into this new year, uh, and we've got some really, really fun conversations lined up as well, uh, starting with today's, uh, and this should be an interesting one. As some of you likely know, there's been, well, a bit of a fight going on right now regarding the future of the .org uh, domain space. Uh, this will require a bit of background, so bear with me as I explain. Uh, each top-level domain, that is the .com, .net, .org, etc., now basically anything else under the sun uh, can be a top-level domain, has a registry, which basically administers the domain and effectively has the master database of who controls each domain. Uh, for the .org domain, uh, the registry that runs it is called the Public Interest Registry, or PIR, uh, and the .org domain was always sort of somewhat intended to be used for public interest, civil society, or nonprofit groups, so there was never any strict restriction or requirement on that, and plenty of like for-profit organizations and other organizations, um, and even individuals use .org domains. Either way, uh, PIR was created by the Internet Society, which is often referred to as ISOC, uh, as a nonprofit. ISOC is itself a nonprofit that was created in the earlier days of the internet to promote the open development, uh, evolution, and use of the internet for the benefit of all people throughout the world. And ISOC has done a lot of good in the world for advocating for an open internet and internet access. Uh, last year, however, the news came out that ISOC had agreed to sell off PIR to a new private equity firm called Ethos Capital, uh, which would then manage PIR and not as a nonprofit. Uh, many people got upset for various reasons, uh, and I'll list out a few of them, perhaps not all. Uh, first, earlier in 2019, against the vast majority of comments in an open comment period, ICANN, who creates all the rules for all the different domain registries, had lifted the caps on how much PIR PIR could charge for .org domains. Uh, second, uh, many of the people involved in Ethos Capital had a close association with ICANN, uh, including its former director, who had actually been the one who registered the domain for Ethos Capital, uh, but otherwise had not officially been listed as associated with the project until later. Uh, it was admitted that he was an advisor to it. Um, there were others involved with Ethos that had been involved with ICANN and other domain registries as well, uh, which raised a whole bunch of questions about sort of uh, 
uh, how this deal came together and who was, you know, uh, whether there were sort of insider deal making and, and things of, of that nature. Uh, and many felt that there was at least the appearance of sketchiness <laughs> involved in the deal. Um, and finally, there was the general concern that a private equity firm taking over what had been a nonprofit designed for the public good would lead to some sort of very bad result. Um, there are others who have certainly defended the deal, claiming that, that ISOC itself shouldn't be in the business of running a domain registry. Uh, and when the price eventually came out, because initially it wasn't, but then eventually it was, it was it came out that uh, Ethos was going to pay over a billion dollars to ISOC, it was pointed out uh, quite reasonably that this would effectively create an, an endowment uh, that would allow ISOC to do a lot of good uh, for the open internet for years to come without having to worry about its own funding. Uh, many public interest groups and civil society folks have come out to oppose the deal and are asking ICANN to reject it, uh, which it can do, but it needs to make that decision fairly soon. Uh, I am sympathetic to the idea that there's enough sketchiness around the deal uh, and the possibility that this will lead to bad things for the Internet. However, there are many people I know at ISOC or associated with ISOC who have been, to put it mildly, uh, upset about this whole thing has been portrayed and insisting that the deal is sensible uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, both for ISOC and for the wider internet and for PIR and the .org domain space as well. Uh, Mike Godwin, who has been on the podcast a few times in the past and hopefully uh, anyone listening to this knows who Mike Godwin is, uh, happens to be a board of trustees member for ISOC and voted to approve the deal. And he is on the podcast today to explain why and to try and convince me and uh, hopefully a bunch of listeners why the deal is actually a good thing. So, uh, Mike, welcome back. Be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, let's start. Just uh, make your pitch. <laughs> why, in, in the face of a lot of concerns and complaints, some of which I mentioned in the opening, why do you actually think that this is a good deal? Sort of, uh, I think what I'll do, you know, at least initially is walk you through my own thinking process as I, uh, as an incoming board member, I, I joined the board uh, uh, la th this last summer, summer of 2019, after being elected in the spring. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had joined uh, ISOC to uh, focus on supporting Internet Society's work. And, and, and I knew about the relationship with the Public Interest Registry, but I did not have any idea that one of the things that would come up immediately would be, you know, the question of whether to sell the public interest registry to anyone. Uh, so uh, when that issue and that issue, it turns out, uh, as I uh, ramped up, got up to speed as an Internet Society trustee, I discovered that oh, in recent years, a number of different uh, entities have, or, or, or businesses have approached the Internet Society and have talked about, we would like to purchase PIR. We would like mm -hmm. to, and, and sometimes and there are different contours of the different offers. I mean, one of them, which I think we had to reject out of hand, was one in which they basically just wanted the contract rights to the .org domain, but otherwise, mm -hmm. I think, would have, like, dismissed everybody who worked for the Public Interest Registry and would instead have just operated it out of their own you know, out of their own uh, businesses. And, 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 you know, I couldn't do that. Nobody, you know, it didn't right. matter how big the dollar amount was. We were never going to, you know, have built the public interest registry and then kick it to the curve. That was crazy, right? So, uh, so 
When I first heard about, uh, and there were some competing offers really up to the last minute almost, um, to uh, to purchase the public interest registry. When I heard about these offers, my initial instinctive reaction was this, just not, no, no. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't have any impulse to see uh, the public interest registry sold. And, uh, and so I totally understand why, you know, people who are outside of the process and looking on have that, have had that reaction because I had it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then when you sort of dig in, you know, one of the responsibilities I had as a board member was digging into, you know, the state of play for PIR, the state of play for ISOC, you know, whether, you know, the state of the market for top level domains, uh, what, you know, what the role of top level domains may be in the future, both the near future and the further on future, um, I began to see that at least if the pieces came together the right way so that everybody, that, that all stakeholders would be better off, there, that at least theoretically it was possible that I could in good conscience uh, vote to approve a deal. And honestly, uh, they, they put it together. The, 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 the people who won our approval for their offer did put together a deal that seemed, in my view, uh, to not just give ISOC a big chunk of money, because as I said, that wouldn't have been enough, but also to not merely preserve the public interest registry, but in fact, to kind of unshackle it. Um, and, and that was exciting to me, because right now the public interest registry is in this weird position where they get, you know, they bring in money and they can use the money to pay for their operations and expenses and staff and so on. But then all the surplus <laughs> beyond that gets, you know, sent to the Internet Society so that they can't do what a normal kind of tech-centered business would be able to do, which is invest in adapting to how the marketplace is changing. And, and so that was the thing that persuaded me that the for-profit path made more sense for the public interest registry. Uh, so so there are t- three pieces. One is, does it help ISOC? The second part is, does it help the public interest registry? And then the third part is, does it help the community of .org? And then there's some .ngo and .ong registrants. Does it help that community in the long term as well? And there you have to sort of stop and think about what the role of top-level domains has been, what it is today, and what it might be decades from now. And uh, I knew in that case, it would be, you know, the, 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 the .org, you know, the registry that's in charge of .org has responsibilities to the community, and you kind of want them to be able to invest in, you know, improving what they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's sort of where I am. So ultimately, I was persuaded that all three sets of stakeholders benefited from it. Uh, but I totally get why people, including you, have been skeptical about the deal. And so I'm ready to take my uh, hits <laughs> on, yeah, on all of that. And so, 
I, I think I think most people agree that it's it's pretty obvious how ISOC benefits, and I think you know it is a good thing for ISOC to be in a, in a good place. You know, suddenly having an endowment of over a billion dollars allows you to do a lot, and so I think I think that part is clear. And I don't think there's any disagreement. Um, there is obviously this thing where it's like, well, you know. Uh, ISOC has a, a lot of reasons to think this deal is good for everyone else also because of its own its own profit. So, you know, there is this question of whether or not the the size of the amount of money that is being handed over um, influences or, or, or shades the way that that, you know, ISOC has viewed this deal. Um, and so do you want to respond to that before I get and then we'll get into whether or not the other aspects of the deal are also good? The, the, the long to make a long story short, there were other entities that offered similar amounts of money. That is okay. to say, you know, there might be, you know, there might be there might be differences on the margins, but roughly the same order of magnitude in terms of payment, mm -hmm. uh, and not just uh, now, but you know, and in, in, in other at other points, you know, before even my tenure, uh, there were other entities that were able to offer a big chunks of cash that could certainly have created endowments for ISOC. And ISOC uh, correctly, in my view, turned those offers down. And in the, even in the run-up to the uh, a deal with uh, Ethos Capital, you know, we, we, had a, we had a competing offer and we turned that one down. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a hard set of choices, you know. I mean, we had to look at everything very closely, but we, we – we absolutely had our decisions informed not by a big payday because we would have gotten a big payday no matter what. Okay. Um, so, so we wanted to do the right thing. That's basically it. All right. So, so, and let's address you know one of the other big points, and this is one that came out early on, and there's been pushback from some people um, on this is the fact that you know just months before this deal went down, um, I can change the rules and allowed PIR to to jack up the prices if they uh, you know uh, chose to for .org domains, and and so there was a concern about the timing of that. The public comments certainly for um, for that was was almost universally against allowing this to happen, and yet I can I can did it anyways and then suddenly a few months later sells it off to to a private equity firm um that wait no let's just be clear i can did what i can does <laughs> and uh and but uh but um but isoc the internet society did not right. do that right thing that's that's an i can thing right right but but there are questions about how the, how that looks right the, you know the fact that that I can makes a move against most of the comments that enables there to to you know to to create much more potentially much more profit for um, whoever is running the .org domain and then right after that so that you know in a sense like the move by I can clearly boosts the value of PIR because it opens up the the possibility of making more profit. And then, you know, a few months later, suddenly, you know, whether or not there were deals in the past that, that ISOC rejected, um, you know, that move alone boosted the value of PIR. And so that looks sketchy and it feels sketchy, right? So let, just let me say at the outset of this, you know, I've now experienced a few months of having people second guess what we must have been thinking at Internet Society <laughs> and assuming the worst. So I, I, I have a lot of sympathy in that kind of at least narrow respect with ICANN. 
because you know I, I I have a similar negative impression about you know about ICANN's removing the the price caps, uh, but the, basically the interest uh, in purchasing PIR predates that, and I and so that's one piece of it. But then the second thing is, uh, did we get a lot more money because they could really take the lid off and jack up the prices of renewal? And I think that that's wrong. Uh, I mean, it may be counterintuitive, but the reason I think it's wrong is that if you look at the financials year over year for PIR, the renewals are the thing that makes the money. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, this is economics 101, where you know that if you pri- if you raise the prices for anything for which the demand is not totally inelastic, you get a fall off. Uh, sure. So, so you know, you know, for example, milk, milk at the grocery store, you know, you can increase by ten or twenty percent, and the people who need milk will still need milk. But if you increase it by fifty or hundred percent, then people will start thinking about what are my other choices besides milk. Sure. You know, uh, and, but, 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 and yeah, sure, but, go ahead. I mean, domains are not exactly like milk, right? I mean, you do have an element of lock in there, right? Which is that, you know, once you've established a domain, once you've established sort of the brand behind it, the ability to just switch domains because someone jacks up the price of renewal is a lot harder, right? It can be done, and there may be a few cases that where it has been done, but it seems pretty rare because you lose a lot of the benefit. You lose the branding benefit, you lose the Google benefit, you know, you lose the benefit. And so there is this element of lock-in that, that for everyone who has those domains, it is kind of hard to give it up. Google benefit, because, uh, you know, I when I look up Electronic Frontier Foundation, I, I don't just look up the .org versions, you know. I mean, I look up, you know, Google or, or any other search engine will absolutely find the resource that I'm looking for, whether I yeah, add uh, .org to it or not. Eventually, but there are stories of people changing domains where where there is there is a period of adjustment, and and you know that that can certainly and and in fact there are also cases where you know I, I've. I've seen where like, you know, Google might get confused because there's two different domains and it thinks one's copying the other and it could punish them. And so there there are there are all sorts of issues there where it's not and, and plus it's just like, you know, technically you, you there's 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 work involved and there's broken links and things that need to be adjusted. It it is not it is not so easy as saying, I'm not gonna buy milk, I'm gonna buy almond milk. Well, first of all, almond milk is a really bad choice. But, <laughs> but secondly, Secondly, I, you know, the way I originally thought of this when I would hear this theory was for, I, I, I don't want to pass glibly over the fact that if that if the new uh, 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 registry operating dot uh, org chose to do some crazy uh, uh, jacking up prices, uh, you know, on renewals, uh, that that would be hugely disruptive. I, I agree mm-hmm. about that. Uh, but here's the thing. The owners, I believe, agree about that, too. And there are good economic reasons to think that they don't want to do that. You don't want to spend a billion dollars or whatever and, and, and lose half your half your, uh, you know, and, 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 and be halved in size at the end of the day. That's one. Sure. Thing. And the second thing is, um, I think that if any owner of a public interest registry and anyone operating the .org top-level domain did some massive extortionate increase in prices, 
that would destroy .org forever, and it would never be replaced by another TLD. You know, there would be no other TLD that would ever have the name equity that .org, you know, that we have been careful to build over the course of years and decades. So I think well, it would be hugely self. Yeah, I mean, I just think it would be hugely self-destructive. Uh, but, but the way I think about it, when I first heard about this, uh, you know, this sort of nightmare scenario, was it reminded me of, um, you know, in the original 1978 Superman, the movie, where Lex Luthor's plan is to sink the California coastline so that he gets like a new <laughs> coastline that has a whole bunch of new beachfront property on it. Um, that's how this scheme sounds to me. It's like, you know, we could, you know, we'll, sure, millions of people will die and we'll destroy everything that was there, but we'll have more beachfront property. And I just think, you know, there is no Lex Luthor here. I mean, there's, you know, uh, th that's e even in the movie that was understood to be kind of a weird comical, <laughs> you sure. know, comical proposal. So you don't have to believe me, but I think that if you look at the financials for PIR, what you see is the thing that makes PIR an attractive purchase is the guaranteed predictable 80 percent of its income from reliable renewals year by year. And, and price craziness just puts all that in jeopardy and makes it less valuable, not more valuable. Well, I, I mean, I think that that is the question. And that does come down to whether or not there really is lock-in and how strong the lock-in is. So, you know, so I, I think that, that you do have a point that like um, .org certainly has, has branding and name recognition. It, it was one of the sort of original TLDs, right? I mean, for a while, you, you really had .com, .net, and .org in terms of what well, you could purchase. There's you know, .gov and .edu as well. But, um, and, and so there, there is branding there. But, you know, we are also dealing with, <laughs> you know, uh, a private equity firm that now is going to try and maximize profits. And, and there are certainly plenty of examples of private equity firms in particular um, with, let's say, a less than long-term view of how to extract money from the assets that they have purchased and, you know, very focused on, on you know, extracting as much money in the short term as they can and then sort of, you know, dumping off the husk of, of whatever it is that they've purchased. Um, and so I, I think there's there's a reasonable concern there. Right. And that's because all the people who saw Superman in 1978, <laughs> you know, saw saw the movie Wall Street. And I guess it was like 1986, you know, and they have this sense that what, you know, what, you know, what the banks do or what the venture capitalists do when they buy something up is strip is strip it for parts. You know, and uh, and then sell off, you know, sell off other pieces and increase the stock value and then sell it as a higher valued stock or they do. But but right. But, you know, it, it, but but this is not this is not entirely a, a movie scenario or a 1980s scenario. Right. I mean, we're seeing that today in terms of pri private equity firms buying up pharmaceuticals. We're seeing it with private equity firms buying up journalism organizations. There are multiple examples of this kind of thing happening. Um, that that I think certainly raises concern. No, and I know those are no. Look, you're absolutely right. It, it, it is true that uh, that there are private equity firms that are bad actors or that act destructively or corrosively. Uh, and I think the examples that you give are really interesting because in the case of pharmaceutical acquisitions, 
you know, typically the, you know, the pharmaceutical products in question, those are things for which demand is pretty much inelastic, sure. you know? So of course, you know, if you have the killer interferon based, you know, cancer drug, uh, you know, you have a th unique thing that nobody else can ever have anything like, you know, I mean, or, you know, there's no, it's just not the same thing. Uh, if people have alternative therapies, that's really not the same thing at all. But the difference is that, you know, at the end of the day, top-level domains are just series of bits, you know, uh, so there, so that even if there, you know, the way I analogize this is, you know, for most of my life and for most of yours too, I believe, you know, it was important to know if you saw people's area codes on their, on their phones, uh -huh. you know, you just sort of knew where they were. And now, of course, we're progressing to a point where having a 212 or 202 or 310 or 203 <laughs> area code is not symbolic of, you know, where you are, you know, where you live. It, it means something different. And I think what we're having in what we're dealing with in the top level domain space is something that's a little more like that. There's a set of conventions that we've gotten used to. But we could adapt so that there, if, if somebody did something really destructive, we could respond and adapt. And honestly, I just don't think anybody, just to come back to the reality principle for a minute, I don't think anybody who's got a billion dollars to spend uh, is, has the idea that they're going to piss it all away by destroying the value of well, that. Yeah, I mean, but, but the argument is not that, right? The argument is not that they'll piss away the value of it. The, the argument is that they'll extract the value of it, right, for, for their own benefit, as opposed to the, the sort of long-term benefit. Yeah, so I've asked people what that scenario looks like. And what I found is when we try to drill down into kind of the mechanics of how that would look, um, you know, it's not exact. I mean, you, you know, of course, who the if there were price increases that were big surprises, you know, um, that would that they first actually would uh, uh, hit the speculators, right? They would hit the domain name speculators first mm -hmm. because those people are holding, you know, portfolios of domain names. But the second thing I think, and this is probably one of the things that I think has been helpful about the reaction, one of the one of the things I'm willing to say is a good component of the reaction, is that, you know, now the now the uh, uh, civil society community and all the .org registrants who have legitimate purposes are aware of this. Uh, and and uh, they're not, I don't believe that they're going to, I believe that they're not, they would never stand for it. I think I have offered, as you know, to lead the mass migration or to lead a charge, at least, to the mass migration to the .wtf <laughs> uh, top-level domain because I would disapprove of anybody who tried to use uh, .org extortionately as well. But I, I just don't think – I mean – what we do, and this is a typical problem, by the way, whenever we're talking about digital technologies and digital uh, uh, platforms, uh, is that we analogize them to things like real property or we analogize them to things like pharmaceuticals, but they're not quite like those things. There's something else. What, what, what we see in the domain name space is that it's a series of conventions. And the thing about conventions as distinct from real property or pharmaceuticals or personal property is that their value lies in maintaining them, not mm -hmm. in eroding them. And uh, so the investment thinking has to be different for that reason.
So, so sort of a related question to that then is why would it not be a condition of the deal that Ethos Capital, that the new owners have to, you know, maintain something. I mean, there there were ways in theory that the deal could have been structured that would have eased these concerns, right? I mean, I think some of the concern is the fact that it is sort of nobody knows and there don't seem to be any constraints, right? So there are, your argument is that there are market constraints. Oh, um, yeah, that's on, one, that's uh, certainly one argument. But you're right that there ought to be more formal constraints. And in fact, um, so I'll give you kind of the 30,000 foot answer, but I'll also point you to the fact that the key points about .org website just announced, I think, today, uh, the uh, ethos's uh, commitments, uh, with, you know, honestly, this came up just maybe an hour or two before our talk today. So, so I, I, it's new to me too. But in, it's a formal commitment or it's, it's set to be a formal commitment by Ethos okay. Capital to do some things that some of the critics have said that they want to do, like have, uh, you know, not just having a stewardship uh, council, which, uh, you know, at least one set of critics wants to have, but even to commit to uh, taking surplus from the revenue and and devoting it to uh, charitable purposes that are outside of PIR, which I think is really an interesting proposal. Uh, and, and some critics have wanted to do that as well. Uh, so, so here's the thing. Uh, we have always known, so that's one piece, and I, I have to say the other piece was that um, when I was at Internet Governance Forum in Berlin, right after uh, this was announced, I ran into Milton uh, Mueller, who, as you know, <laughs> is a... Uh, who is uh, who is uh, not unwilling uh, to be a critic of ICANN? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, he's perfectly willing. And so we talked. I talked to him. He said, "You you want to be a, so so." He thought that the deal as such didn't seem crazy to him, but he also thought that he said, "But ISOC wouldn't object to our arguing that ICANN needs to you know." engage in greater guidance about how top-level domains are managed. I said, no, we would not. I mean, that's ICANN's role. Um, you know, ICANN has a certain – ICANN doesn't have superpowers exactly because they're bound by contract law just the same as we are, but they certainly, you know, can push for different kinds of structures of relationships and oversight. And, and I don't have any opposition to oversight. I would prefer oversight. So, so – so I would say uh, those were my two reactions. Plus, there's this new commitment uh, from Ethos, and uh, I know that some of your listeners will say, you know, it's worth, it's not worth any more than the bits it was written on, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But but the thing about it is, when a public player, when a public investor commits to something publicly, at least they're on the record, so that if it turns out that they lie or break their promises. That's the kind of thing that any grown-up knows will trigger congressional inquiries, possibly legislation, possibly regulatory intervention. And it would be, once again, I think, really suicidal for anybody to make these promises and then break them. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think that's interesting. It's good to – I hadn't heard about the, the new commitment. I mean, I know that when the deal was announced and there was the initial criticism, ethos has sort of come out and, and – and hadn't quite promised, just sort of said like, hey, you know, we wouldn't do that. But but it was that felt sort of 
easily gone back on, like the way that was framed. If there's something that is more of a a, a much more strong and clear public commitment, I think that is that is better. Um, yeah, I, I, and I totally get. By the way, I totally get the skepticism. First of all, the skepticism about you know private equity investors and so on. I, that all makes sense to me. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not what we, you would call you know a big you know moving a lot of money around capitalists. So, so mm-hmm. I'm appropriately skeptical, you know, of, 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 of what a private equity firm might do. But we did a lot of due diligence on this before we agreed to it. And one of the things I think that gets overlooked is that we actually announced it ahead of uh, the final formalizing of, uh, of, the, uh, of the deal. And the, re- and the reason we did that was that we knew that we were going to uh, IETF in Singapore and we knew we were going to Internet Governance Forum in Berlin. And we didn't want to be attending those public events, uh, even when the deal had not yet been formalized. Uh, and then sort of announce like the minute after those events are over that that it had been closed. We knew what we needed to do was get the commitment, the basic commitment in place and let people know and uh, to the extent that we could share as many details as we could uh, and, and be willing to take some hits right up front, which, as you can tell, we have done. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you, you know, one of the other things that has certainly come up is, is sort of the some of the sketchiness in terms of the people involved and whether or not this was sort of a backroom deal that that everything came about. I mean, it, it, it was a little odd that, you know, the people involved, right? So there are two arguments here and you can make one, but like, you know, one is that these, the people who are involved in Ethos Capital certainly know the domain registry space and understand, you know, sort of the issues of governance around running a registry and things like that. But the other is that it, it feels, um, it, it, it feels sketchy. Yeah. Don't say sketchy again. Cause like, you're now at count number four or five. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, I noticed mean, that you, I'm, by I'm, the way, I'm your avo- headline. I'm avoiding other words that might be worse. <laughs> I know, I know, but your, head, but your headline in the tech article said this is a, it's not merely sketchy, but it's sketchy, sketchy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, I mean, that's the problem, right? Because like, like there are, there are, and I, and I, I did use that word on purpose and I'm using it here on purpose because like there are worse words that I feel slightly uncomfortable using um, because I, I don't think it's clear. I think part of the issue is that it, it leads to the perception that makes people distrust the deal. And I think that's a concern whether or not the perception is real or not. Um, it feels questionable. Sure. And I get that. I actually get that. So let me just let me just uh, unpack this a little bit. Uh, And, and, you know, I'm aware, uh, you know, of all the reasons that people might be suspicious of insiders, uh, you know, who have some special knowledge, who maybe have some secret plot or maybe not secret plot to capitalize on the on the dot org TLD and and managing it. Um, And 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 I've heard criticism of various individuals for some time. But one of the things that was interesting to me was that one response from one group of critics was to assemble their own set of insiders to say, no, we'll be the better insiders, you know, uh, to uh, to manage.org. And they have this idea that they're going to persuade uh, ICANN to break its contract and just hand it over 
without paying any money, which I think it actually is audacious. I like that. In that, in that <laughs> uh, but uh, so that part I kind of admire. But uh, but those people were insiders, too. And, you know, some of them have been criticized for their own activities in the TLD space. So let me just uh, take a kind of a different step on that and say, um, I think that um, what you ultimately rely on is not, you know, what you think about a particular individual or not, but what they are bound to do by law and by contract and by agreement and by public commitment. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those, you know, as a lawyer, I've often had to deal with people that I don't like, but have to do business with. And I've often found that there are people I really love that I would never do business with. And so you have to sort of sort out, you know, what your your gut reactions are to particular people from whether a set of decisions makes sense or not. Uh, And so I, I, I would, you know, maybe you want to drill into that a little bit, but I, I, I'm not telling anybody to like anyone who's uh, involved in the deal or to like me or to like Isaac. I don't really care. You know, I mean, that's not I'm not that's not the purpose of my performing in this role. Uh, But what I do think is um, the real test of whether this deal is good is the performance of it. And I think it's appropriate for stakeholders to uh, monitor it and be certain that everybody lives up to their promises. And, and that goes in every direction, by the way. So if I, you know, if Internet Society gets a big chunk of change and then doesn't spend it in ways that make sense philanthropically, I expect Internet Society to be appropriately criticized for that. Um, and yeah, to, but you've already got the money. Right? Yeah, no. Well, remember, I don't have the money, right? I mean, it's, well, yeah. not, you know, it's not my money. Yes. I, I'm an unpaid trustee. I'm like the, I'm actually like the poorest person associated <laughs> with Internet Society, I think. Uh, so, so I'm not, you know, that I, in terms of getting the money, that's, you know, it it turns out that if you are a registered charity or registered NGO, you know, a nonprofit, you actually have a huge number of regulatory compliance, uh, criteria that you have to meet. So no, we can't go have a big party. You know, we can't go, you know, have a year of, uh, of sampling tequila shots all over the world. (laughs) You know, we actually have to be responsible with what we do with the money. Yeah. So, so now let's let's get to you know one of the other aspects which we haven't talked about, which is important. Which is you argued that that you believe in looking at this that this is actually good for PIR itself and and the sort of dot r domain space. And and there's been pushback on that. And the, the pushback generally comes down to the idea that you know what we've already talked about that that. Um, you know that that the the private equity organization might sort of you know strip it or or you know uh, you know use it to 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 extract uh, money for itself and and thereby harming that. So can you make the argument for why you think this is actually better for PIR? Sure, sure. So so let me uh, so one thing I'll say at the outset is that people think that um, uh, you know a cap you know. Uh, um, a uh, private equity firm that buys a business does it for the purpose of of stripping it for parts, in effect, for cutting costs and increasing revenue. I actually had, and when I've what I've noticed, by the way, is that I hear this primarily from people who've never actually, you know, 
known about things like business brokerages. Uh, you know, the fact is that if you have a successful business, uh, th there's a market for buying a successful business that doesn't have anything at all to do with stripping it for parts or maximizing money. If the business is already successful, you may just want to own the successful business. And that's why. And that is the reason for most uh, for many, at least I think for most acquisitions in the, you know, in, in the private enterprise world. But I would add to that this, which is that um, with public interest registry, there is an obvious, the biggest obvious cost that can be cut is its obligation to send its surplus money to Internet society. You know, so what happens is by, you know, if you want to look at it in terms of cutting costs, the cost that's cut is paying dues, you know, to Internet society. So that so that as a a, a non uh, non profit or as a for profit uh, enterprise and by the way as you know dot uh, org was run uh, and administered by for profit enterprise sure. for years and years uh, without doing anyone any harm uh, in the, that period um, the the if you want to look at it in terms of cutting costs the cost is they have to they don't have to tithe all their surplus capital and send it to internet society. Uh, and that, I think, is going to be hugely constructive in the long term, and this is why. Uh, if you look at the top-level domain space, you know, you mentioned that in the early years, there were really just a few top-level domains that you could buy. You know, there were, there were others that you really couldn't buy, country code TLDs and, <laughs> and, and a couple of other TLDs like .edu. But... Um, you know, the uh, if you if you look at the, the top, you know, if you look at what happened in the top level domain space since then, what you find is that they're essentially and I think you mentioned this, too. They're like a zillion top level domains now. Yeah. They're, they're just a huge number. And in a sense, the value of a top level domain is kind of an inflated currency. Right. Uh, with .org being one of the few uh, instances of uh, of sort of maintaining the long-term value, maybe .com counts, certainly .edu in some sense counts. But when we looked at, when we were trying to project trends, we saw that potentially the, the .org, the business of administering .org was going to be on a decline. There's a really serious uh, prospect that it would be on the decline, not just in the long term, but even in, in the near term, if no changes were made. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, uh, the .org TLD can't invest in offering new services and improving itself as a platform because of the nature of its nonprofit status. Uh, you might say, well, Internet Society could invest in improving uh, PIR, but in fact, we can't because we have our own charitable obligations to spend money on other stuff that is not PIR. So, so we were like this weird death grip of of two nonprofits, you know, they're like Siamese twins, you know. And 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 the question is, how can we separate the two nonprofits in ways that will lead to happiness for both of them? And so, uh, freeing. PIR of the burden of supporting the Internet Society, I think, was that was what was decisive for me. Uh, uh, you know, if there's a path to freeing PIR to adapt and grow and figure out what it needs to be, you know, in the next 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, 
you know, that is a, that is something that we need to think about now because we can't think about it after it's withered away. And and the difference between what we put together and what some of the critics propose is that their proposals, their alternatives, one of at least some of them are let's just stay in place. Let's just not do any deals. We're going to keep everything in place is that that doesn't offer any promise of future growth or adaptation for .org either. Uh, and then the other people who say, well, we don't want to pay any money, but we'd like you to give us .org to administer. Uh, I don't think those people have a lot of money to, you know, <laughs> you know, to invest in improving what .org can offer. So, so uh, you know, you may have appropriate skepticism about what private enterprise can do, but I will say that private enterprise is pretty good at assembling capital in a hurry for, for technical businesses to adapt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that was, I think, uh, you know, the fact that this would be a way to save .org, uh, and, and in my view, the best way, the way that's most likely to save it beyond my lifetime was the thing that decided the issue for me. Yeah. And I, I think there's, there is something to be said for the idea that like the, the entire sort of you know, top level domain space is changing. And I mean, you brought this up earlier that, that, you know, what you use as your TLD is, is no longer as representative. I mean, for the longest time you needed to have a dot com. Um, and, you know, I'd argue certainly over the last five years, maybe even a little longer, the need to have a dot com has, has diminished greatly. Um, and increasingly, of course, people never type in the domains. They just use Google as their uh, their way of finding anything on the Internet um, and, and assuming that that will bring you to the right place, whether or not you know the correct uh, top level domain or not. Um, and so there is something to the idea that the the entire you know domain registry space is changing and being able to adapt and change to that is an interesting one. Um, the question then still remains is like you know is is ethos really the best player to 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 um, you know to handle that change and to 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 walk uh, PIR through that process. I think one question you maybe are indirectly raising is uh, maybe we should have had more competition among bids. Maybe there was a way to do that. We have there was always competition among bidders for the PIR uh, yeah. business, uh, but maybe we should have had an auction. And I've heard I've heard this uh, uh, criticism offered a number of times, and I believe that there is a compelling reason not to have auctioned off PIR. The compelling reason is this. We built PIR, which is a, currently a nonprofit and which, as is always the case with nonprofit, it has a lot of expertise, a lot of expert people who are, pay, be, who are being paid under market rates, you know, because they are committed to what PIR is offering. And if you tell all those people who've taken kind of already the financial penalty for working for a nonprofit and say, hey, you know, this thing that you're working for, we're putting it up for auction. Then don't worry. You know, we're going to get the best price and give it to the best bidder. And, you know, they'll have lots of capital and I'm sure it'll all work out for you. That is demoralizing. If I worked for a nonprofit that that was happening to, that there was a public auction for, I would be sending my resume around a lot. (laughs) You know, because you just don't know what the outcome of that is. 
But what yeah, we did, but, I mean, no, no, really I'm serious. We talked. What happened? Well, but what we did instead, what we did instead was um, we did a lot of consultation as we got to the final stages. You know, with PIR, not just with leadership, although certainly we did with leadership, but also with people who work for PIR. And it was, uh, you know, it was clear that they were nervous. I mean, nobody thinks, uh, you know, nobody was, you know, glib about it. But it, but but I think one of the their takeaways was we really cared about protecting them and protecting that business. And I think that was one of the reasons that Public Interest Registry uh, it, and its own board voted uh, unanimously to approve uh, the deal. All right. And then, so the sort of final area that you had said sort of convinced you to, to make this decision was, you know, good for ISOC, okay, good for PIR, okay. Um, what about good for the, the overall internet? Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of concern that this will you know, this creates a, a level of potential harm for for the open Internet. And what's your response to that? Well, you know, I've now spent a big chunk of my time in different parts of the world asking people what their threat model is. And uh, sometimes it's about, you know, extortionate pricing. Uh, and sometimes it's about something like, you uh, some censorship scheme, you know, what, you know, like what if ethos capital, you know, buys.org and then turn and then flips it and sells it to Putin, (laughs) (laughs) you know, right. You know, uh, then, you know, the, the answer I think is that I don't, first of all, you know, I I believe that Putin has many billions locked away and he probably could buy it. But, um, but, uh, but then, you know, there's no way Putin could buy it and renege on any of the network of contractual agreements that .org has without destroying his ability to do mischief with it. Um, and, and so when I try to ask what the, I, I ask again and again what the threat model is. And basically, you know, I had one guy who's uh, himself a philanthropist who, who when I asked him this, he like, stuttered. You know, he couldn't figure out what the threat model was. And he was clearly uncomfortable that I'd asked him for some particularities as well. We just think that, uh, you know, uh, the uh, a, a TLD that's uh, about nonprofits should be run by a nonprofit. And I said, okay, why? And, uh, well, we just think that it should be, you know, um, and I said, I said, that's not a threat model. That's kind of like a sentiment, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not something that harms uh, the registrants. It's not something that harms the users. So I, I have yet to hear someone spell out what they think that threat looks like. I, I'm not averse to hearing it, by the way. But I, I, you know, I was at IGF, you know, for days and I did not, you know, I asked people, I would show up at every like Access Now side event, you know, and make myself available for questioning. And and I couldn't, and, and nobody really could frame it. I think one of the things uh, that I did hear was like, how could you be so cynical as to think that the top level domain name system will fade away? I said, well, that's not cynicism. I'm just, you know. We, you know, I've just, I'm just old now. So I've seen, a lot, <laughs> you know, I've seen a lot of stuff fade away, sure. you know, that I thought was going to stay. And I've seen a lot of stuff stay that I thought was going to fade. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I, I think that the, the, I mean, there, there are a number of different arguments for where there might be harm. And I think potentially, you know, one of those is that 
for for whatever reason, the .org domain name still does have a, a, a branding power and a um, uh, it, it is a um, you know it's it's sort of the uh, it has a high, like high yeah has high symbolic value. I think yeah. it still does. And by the way, you know when we come back to like .com, whether .com mm-hmm. was necessary. I think doc, the value or the sense of necessity of .com has eroded uh, in a way that the value of necessity, uh, value and necessity of .org has not. So uh, what that tells me is um, that there's something about the symbolic meaning of .org that's worth saving. Yeah. Uh, but but the thing about saving it is we're going to need capital invested in saving it. And that means not running it as a nonprofit, not saying we're going to take all the surplus and give it to ISOC or take all the surplus and give it to Internet Society chapters or whatever. We have to enable the people, the, the registry that's running .org to invest in being better and adaptive and offering more and maintaining the kind of immense positive branding and positive symbolism that it has now. And as far as I know, uh, you know, whatever you may say about the deal that we made, we made a deal that was more forward looking than any alternative I've heard so far. Yeah. And, and I, I, I get that. I think my, my only, and this will be sort of my concluding thought, cause we can just go around in circles on this forever, but I think we've, we've covered most of the points. My only point on that is that you know, given the the symbolic value, as you say, of .org and the sort of importance of it within the space as sort of a a marker of of credibility to some extent, uh, especially for the public interest and civil society uh, groups, that it feels like there should have been some clear, you know, not not just stated commitment but contractual commitment of the new owners to maintain that in some form or another that would give you know more comfort to to those who use the, the .org domain space and those who who rely on on those using the .org domain space to be good stewards uh, of the public interest. And so that that's sort of my final comment on it and I think the thing that still sort of grates at me in in the back of my mind uh, about the concern for this deal yeah, so so I think uh, and, and and I respect that. I think that's that's all fine. Um, the uh, what I what I really believe is necessary is that um, is that you know people recognize that we can't sort of like lock in org to where it was in the year two thousand or two thousand five. Um, that in order for uh, .org not to recede into irrelevance, uh, we need to empower the people running it uh, to see. But yeah, and 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 I agree. And I know I already said I was I was giving my last word, but I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here because I think you're answering something slightly different than what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that .org needs to be run exactly the same or managed exactly the same or offer the same products and services. I'm saying that there is a, you know, it's a question of the sort of commitment to the public interest that is is associated with it, and I think that there are ways to, to set set it up contractually that the new owners. Yeah, yeah. I have a response. I have a response to that. Uh, I think that um, 
what we have urged, you know, what we are, what we in our communications with the with the successful bidder for the business, we said, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of this stuff. Um, we didn't put it in the contract because in some ways that's not our we don't have the superpowers required to do that. Um, it, but we told them that this would ultimately be uh, how they keep this deal and how it, it survives, you know, scrutiny by ICANN and how it survives scrutiny, you know, by the attorney general in the state where public interest registry is incorporated. Uh, they're going to have to make these public commitments. So we did not believe that we had the power to make that an enforceable condition of the contract, given the the nature of our, you know, relationship with 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 PIR and with .org, which is kind of, I mean, it's a little complicated, but it's not outright ownership like a deed to land. Right. You know, it's basically a kind of a licensed relationship. We had a license, and licenses are not property interests as such. They're not like huge universally including property interests. So what we said was, you know, the, the, the road to the success of this deal involves Ethos Capital making a series of public commitments. And uh, they have been trying to do that. Um, if you are uh, critical of how fast they've done it, you know, me too. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, I think they're doing a I think they're you know they're trying to adapt very quickly and figuring out how to keep this deal alive because it's quite clear to them they know that if they do not adequately assure ICANN and other stakeholders that they're make that they're going to live up to these commitments that this deal can ultimately be killed. Yeah. All right. And I I think that's a that's a fair statement, and I think that. Um... You know, I, 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 you've certainly raised a lot of good points. It's given me a lot of, to think about. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still. I, I need to think about this <laughs> some more, and I'm sure our listeners um, feel the same way. But I, I feel that this was a productive discussion. <laughs> no, I, I, this is uh, why yeah, I wanted to have this discussion with you. Is that I, you know, and I, you know, I didn't. We did not agree on the questions ahead of time, as you <laughs> no, know. As you know, so here, all. so you're seeing me fumble around to make sure I know what I'm saying. <laughs> but uh, but I absolutely look. Here's what I could have done, as you know. I could have just pitched, you know, the you know a defense of the deal in a written written form to you and say maybe TechDirt runs it, maybe TechDirt doesn't. But I didn't want it to be that way. I wanted this to be kind of an interlocutory exploration of what we think the issues are. So at least at the end of the day, people who care about this stuff can sort of see what we were thinking at the Internet Society and see how reasonable people who mean well and who care about saving.org might have chosen this path. Yeah, and and, and I think uh, uh, I think you've made the case very well, and, and, and I appreciate that. And uh, as always, it's, it's fun to discuss anything with you and, and even more fun when we might not be on the same side, which is not often the, the case. We have to do more podcasts. That's all there is to <laughs> Maybe you'll do All more right. podcasts this year if you do them with me, Mike. All right. There we go. Uh, well, thank you very much for, for taking the time and, and discussing this. And uh, uh, and thanks to everyone for listening as well. And uh, we'll be back, I think, for real this time with with another podcast next week. So. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks.